Today we look at the book of Ephesians, particularly chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. Paul's writing this letter from prison and in the first half of the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 to 3, he sets a doctrinal basis for chapters 4 to 6, which is very practical outworking of the Christian life. And so in part 1, the chapters 1 to 3, we see Paul greeting the Ephesus church, we see him blessing them, and we see him praying for a revelation that they would understand the richness and the mystery that is found in Jesus. He then talks about unity and reconciliation of all people that is found in Christ. And that sets the basis for him to call us and to call the Christian church in Ephesus to a practical outworking of what it means to walk as a Christian. He talks about the unity in the body in the church. He talks about the new life by the Spirit and that is found in relationship with Jesus. He then goes on to talk about the armor of God and his final greetings, which is what we will be focusing on today. Michael Eaton says that leading up to chapter 6, that Paul cannot end his letter just yet. He has been appealing for the Christians to live godly lives, yet there is a complication, the devil. He must give some attention to the subject of spiritual conflict before he closes his letter, says Michael Eaton. Earlier in his letter, Paul references the devil or Satan in two verses, Ephesians 2 verse 2, where he says, The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is an indirect reference to Satan. And in Ephesians 4 verse 27, he talks about, Do not give the devil a foothold, speaking about dwelling on anger and the outcome of doing that. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 to 20, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. So Paul's first call to us is a call for us to be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. What Paul's saying is that the source of the strength needed to endure and conquer this world comes from Christ and not from ourselves. It's a call for us to constantly remind ourselves of Christ's power. And in many ways, that is the purpose of our regular breaking of bread, communion, it is a constant reminder that power does not lie in us, but it lies in the broken body of Jesus and in his resurrection. The starting point 
for you, Christian, for me, to being strong is to truly acknowledge Christ's strength. Paul writes to the church in Corinth on this very topic when he writes in his second letter in chapter 12, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul talks about boasting, first in his weakness, but then secondly in Christ's strength. And boasting requires a true knowledge of something. We don't boast in something we don't really know about. We boast in something that we truly believe. And so we boast, firstly, we recognize and truly admit our own weaknesses. And secondly, we then boast in Christ, truly acknowledging and knowing his strength. And what this does for us is it sidesteps pride. It takes the pressure off of us having to produce strength and to be strong enough to endure. Secondly, it positions us to receive God's grace and his strength, which he gives to those who need it, but he only gives to those, as James writes, to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so boasting in our weaknesses addresses first the self-confidence or the self-reliance among us who think that we have all that it takes to walk out this Christian faith. But boasting in Christ's strength addresses those more prone to self-doubt or to self-criticism, those who are self-critical. And so boasting in our weaknesses and boasting in Christ's strength deals with the self in all of us, and it puts our attention and puts our focus on Jesus. There's a call not only to a constant reminder of Christ's strength, but there's also a constant reminder and a call for fellowship with Jesus. Paul writes earlier in Ephesians, he writes, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith as you're being rooted and grounded in love. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. There's a call to experiencing Jesus. There's a call to intimacy with him. There's a call to walking by the spirit and being empowered by that very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, for that to dwell within us. Fellowship gatherings are so empowering for when we are weak. We're reminded of his power. We encourage one another. We lift one another's faith. We're strengthened in our inner beings. We forsake gathering at our own perils, not just about a legalistic call for us to gather at meetings, but we gather so that we may be strengthened by folk around us, that we may be encouraged to be reminded about the Jesus that dwells in our hearts and our faith is lifted. And so there's a call for us to be strong, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. So how do we access the strength? How do we enter and be strong in the strength of the Lord and in the strength of his power? Paul continues in verse 11 when he says, Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul calls us, secondly, to be aware and to be equipped. We're currently 
in a struggle. We're in a wrestle. We're in a fight. And our lives are spiritually draining. So many of us are facing a draining life because there's this ongoing struggle, this ongoing wrestle in life. And resisting this devil who is constantly at work to drain us, for those who are following Christ, to resist him. There needs to firstly be an awareness, Paul says, that there is this evil present darkness, that there are these cosmic powers, that there is the spiritual force of evil. And secondly, we need to take up arms. We need to put on the whole armor of God. We must know the enemy and we must know the armor, which is available to us to access the strength of the Lord and to resist the devil. When we attempt to live a godly life, we shall find powerful opposition. If we find that our lives are not in great opposition and there isn't this great wrestle, I ask whether we truly are living a godly life. And so from this world, our flesh, and from the spiritual forces outside of us, there is this constant struggle and this constant wrestle. The cosmic powers that have power to deceive and power to mislead us when we live in denial of spiritual forces, we throw ourselves to the wolves. We are in a time, I believe, where the discerning of spirits, which is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, is indispensable. We are in need in the Western church to discern the spirits and what is going on, whether whether resistance in our lives is from the world or whether it's from our flesh or whether it's from the spiritual forces, we need to discern the supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to perceive the source of spiritual influence in our lives, whether it originates from God or whether it originates from the devil or whether it originates from our our human emotions or our pretenses. It is key for us to walk in the fullness of God and to resist the struggle. We need a God-given, Holy Spirit-given discerning of spirits. And a chief deception of these evil demonic forces is to cause division and breakdown between people. Between you and your employer, between you and your employee, between you and your church, between you and your church leaders, between you and your spouse, you and the person who rings at your gate asking for bread, you and the person who falsely accuses you, you and the person who has abused you. You and the Holy Spirit of God, these evil forces are aiming to bring division into all these relationships. And there there must be accountability for ungodly actions, for sure. But the real struggle, says Paul, is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And if, if evil forces were not at work, the fruit wouldn't have would not have been eaten, right? If the evil forces were not at work, the fracturing in relationship between man and God, between man and woman, between parents and children, between brother and brother would not have happened. We would not have had all this finger pointing. Lord, it was her. Uh, God, it was it. Uh, God, it was you. And this is why unity is such a big thing in the scriptures, why it's such a big thing to Jesus, that there is unity in his body because the devil, the evil forces, Their primary work is to create disunity and fracturing in relationships. And God, Jesus, wants unity in his church. Because where there is fracture, there is weakness. And God wants to build up a beautiful bride in which there is unity and in which there is wholeness in relationships. And So what defense do we have against this enemy? Firstly, we have to be aware, says Paul, that these forces exist. But when... We can't see these forces. How are we to defend ourselves? How are we to be equipped? And how are we to attack these forces at work? 
And so Paul says, firstly, be aware. Secondly, be equipped. But then you need to be aware of the promises of the armor's sufficiency. Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And so Paul promises as we stand and fasten the bell of truth around our waists, put on the breastplate of righteousness, as shoes for our feet, put on whatever will make us ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, taking the shield of faith with which we will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so Paul's promise is that there is sufficiency in these weapons and in this armory. We see the promises of this armor's sufficiency, which is imagery taken from Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 59. And I want to propose that like Saul, King Saul, we try to fit the old king's armor onto ourselves and we find it ill-fitting. We find it difficult to withstand the daily onslaught of the present darkness because we arm ourselves with man-made armor, promises from the world, but they're unfit for the real spiritual wrestle which we face. Instead, we ought to take the armor and the weaponry of the true King, King David, King Jesus, and put on that armor and wield those weapons. So taking a look at the armor which the Spirit supplies, we first see the belt of truth. And the belt of truth speaks of the entire gospel. It is the gold coins which we spoke about a few weeks ago. And without a, without a strong belt, we're left weak and exposed. The truth must work itself out practically in the Christian's life. The truth of the gospel and it holds everything together. And our, our trouble is that we strap on so much worldly wisdom. We strap on so much cultural narrative or the feeding of media onto our waists that we have very little appetite for his word. There's little room left for the truth of God to keep us together. We convince ourselves that daily Bible reading is legalistic and uh, we then proceed to engage in our daily devotion of screen time, whatever it is, a quick game, a scroll through social media, name it, whatever. We satisfy our appetite with junk food and then wonder why we're too full to eat from the word, the bread of God. And I, I pray that David's spirit would empower us from Psalm 1 where he says, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Do not take the path of sinners. They do not sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate. And not only do they meditate, but they meditate day and night. Lord, we recognize our weakness, and we ask you to make us strong. Lord, we recognize our weakness in this belt of truth, and we acknowledge your strength. Lord, would you make the same spirit that lived in David be living and alive in us. God, give us a hunger for your word day and night. And not the law that kills, but the spirit which brings life. Your gospel, Lord, make it alive to us and make us hungry to meditate on it day and night. Paul then goes on to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. And so firstly, it's the righteousness that speaks of the righteousness of Christ, which is reckoned to us. It is given to us as Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says in chapter 3, More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. 
So it's not based on our works, but it's based on faith in Christ. And the chest in the ancient world was considered the seat of emotion. It was considered the seat of our feelings and our conscience. And so when the accuser comes to accuse you of that thought that you had, that video that you watched, that lie that you told, that gossip which came from your mouth, that, that history which you have, that, that Bible time that you never had, your righteousness, your right standing with God is by faith in Christ's righteousness. Ascribe to you that gospel truth that protects your conscience. That any time you consider that you just haven't made the mark, you've missed the mark, that you say to yourself, no, I acknowledge my weakness. But I consider the strength of Christ who lived a perfectly righteous life, whose righteousness gets ascribed to me by faith. And that protects our minds, it protects our emotions, it protects our conscience. But not only is the breastplate of righteousness about Christ's own righteousness, but it's also about his righteousness empowered by the Holy Spirit, which sanctifies us, causes us to start living out that righteousness, which has been ascribed to us. We begin to walk with a clear conscience before God. The gospel power is drained from us because we're not walking in holiness as we ought. And so, the holiness which we ought to be walking in, the righteousness which we ought to be walking in, when we fail, we acknowledge our weakness and our own righteousness. We then acknowledge Christ's strength. But then we also ask him to empower us. We, we delve into his power to ask him to help us to walk no longer in that unrighteousness, but to make those adjustments in our lives so that the righteousness which is already ascribed to us can become the way that we begin to walk. I've surfed a few times, and so technically I'm a surfer, but I'm learning to surf. And so similarly, as we are perfect and righteous in Christ, we now need to walk out that righteousness, but we don't do it in our own strength. And the moment we do, for anyone who's ever tried to walk righteously, very quickly we begin to lean on our own righteousness, we begin to lean on our gifting, which was given to us by God, we begin to lean on our personalities, and very quickly we find ourselves falling short of that righteousness because we're leaning on our own strength. And what Paul says right at the start is that we lean into Christ, acknowledging our weakness, but then acknowledging his strength and asking him to help us to walk in righteousness. If we excuse our immoral living as covered by the blood of Jesus, which is true, but then neglect to approach him to plead your weakness and grab hold of his strength, we leave ourselves open to attack by Satan. He will rip your conscience. He will rip my conscience. He will rip your confidence. He will rip your assurance and leave you ashamed and hiding from God. And what Paul's saying is that actually the right approach to this is to run to Christ in your weakness. Run to the strong one. Capital S, capital O, the strong one. And wearing this breastplate of righteousness is about acknowledging and being strengthened by Christ's righteousness, but acknowledging our weakness and running to him that he would cause by his strength, the strength of the Holy Spirit, to cause us to begin to become righteous based upon the righteousness which is already ours. Paul then moves on to the shoes of the readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace. With the belt and with the breastplate in place, we are always ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. There, there is an activity about the faith, right? There is a moving, and, and that's why we need shoes. There's a moving about our faith. It's to be shared, whether it's across the globe, whether it's across the street. For some of us, it's just across the table to our family and to our friends. 
We ought to be equipped with the truth. And so Hebrews 6, which talks about the elementary principles. And so as Liberty, we will be doing a series running through the Hebrews 6 from the 1st of October. And it talks about being equipped with the truth, about the elementary principles and walking in ever-increasing righteousness and repentance. We declare to others what Christ has done for us. We proclaim how he has saved us from the wrath to come and from the evil powers at work in this world. This readiness of this gospel of peace, which we proclaim, is essentially us proclaiming to others our weakness, but then proclaiming the strength which we find in Christ. And and so the gospel is for those who acknowledge their weakness, those who come in humility. And so as we walk with this belt and as we walk with this breastplate of righteousness, we have something to share with those around us. We have something to share with those who are far from God. And this gospel is a going one and there's an activity and a moving and a mission in the gospel. Reminding ourselves of the belt of truth, reminding ourselves of the righteousness of Christ, reminding ourselves of and others about all this goodness that Christ has brought into our lives begins to strengthen us as saints to lift the shield of faith. It's a believing in the power. It's believing in the promises. It's believing in the person of God. As Paul writes to the Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. It's looking again at those gold coins which, which Christ has given to us, which are treasured in our hearts. Where you know that you know what God has done in your life. You know that you know of his power, which he's proven. You know that you know of the promises which he's given to you. And that he has proven faithful, even when you've been unfaithful. And with that, with that knowledge, with that acknowledging, with that, with that being aware of him, you begin to lift the shield. Your weak arm begins to get strengthened. And you lift up the shield with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's our chief defense, our faith. And I think of the Craneers as they faced all these fiery darts over the last few weeks and months and years. Yet through it have seen the promises of God, yet through it have seen God prove himself and have they've come to acknowledge and know this person and the character of God. And they've lifted this shield and quenched all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the, the arrows of the evil one are flaming. They're real. They hurt. They penetrate. They cut deep. But it is this faith, our belief in Jesus alone, which lifts the shield and protects us from all the accusations of the evil one. And until that place where we resist him, and ultimately he flees. We also then are told about this helmet of salvation. And so Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation and so this helmet of salvation is about our future salvation it's about looking forward and trusting for that day when jesus returns when he comes to rescue us and rescue us from this ongoing and incessant wrestle which all of us are experiencing it talks about a historic salvation that moment when he rescued you and called you to himself it talks about our Current salvation as he is rescuing us today and he will rescue you today 
and again tomorrow and again the next day until the ultimate rescue where he comes to rescue us and rescue this world and all of creation from the byproducts of sin. And so it gives us a sound mind. It, it stops us from panic. It stops us from recognizing and acknowledging that defeat is possible because it no longer is because we are with the victorious one. Whatever's going on around us, it's that first gold coin which we cling to and never surrender, knowing that one day everything's going to be made right. One day every tear will be wiped away and we'll be living in this perfect presence of our mighty Savior. It's the expectation of victory from the start. And so whatever challenge comes, whatever struggle comes from, from second one, is it a recognition in your mind, I will have victory over this. In Christ, I will have victory. Whatever comes, as difficult as this is going to be, I will have victory. It is assured. I've given you authority, says Jesus, to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing will hurt you. And so this helmet of salvation protects us amidst all our struggles and even before they arrive to know that whatever comes, we have victory in Christ. It speaks of hope that we have of looking forward to Christ's ultimate victory. And so it guards our minds from worry, guards us from fretting and stressing out. And it also speaks of the hope of his victorious strength now, his power to overcome now, the strength to be steadfast without entering into despair through whatever lies ahead. Christ's rising from the dead and appearing to his disciples was proof to his followers of his victory. They had something to hold on to, and that, that is our promise. It's the same promise to all those disciples. This is the same promise to us, that Christ will ultimately have victory over death. He will have victory over sin. He will have victory over all opposition. It was what changed that understanding, that recognition, that looking to that hope is what changed Christ's insecure traitors to spirit-filled, faithful ones who were willing to die in the jaws of lions rather than deny their Savior ever again. And that is the hope to which we must look, that we may be empowered by that same Holy Spirit. Paul then talks about the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the truth of is the entire gospel, that belt, the entire gospel. But the word of God is a specific truth for your current fight. That specific gold coin for your specific situation. That chapter and verse, spoken and used as a sword. It's Jesus in the desert, knowing which scriptures to, to quote back to the devil, to fight him in that specific situation. And it's the same for us. It's, it's being able to wield and being equipped with the ability to know which scriptures apply to which given specific scenarios and struggles which we're currently fighting. And that is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so the first three stay on us. They, they, we're equipped with them. We put them on. But the last three we need to take up. We need to pick up that shield of faith. We need to take up that helmet of salvation and remind ourselves. We need to take up the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God to be used to oppose the devil. And so we trust in the power of Christ to put all those things on. We trust in the power of Christ to lift all those things up. We don't do them in our own strength. But they come with the discipline to daily put them on. And that is your responsibility, saint. That is my responsibility. That is the way that we access the strength of Christ, is to partner with him, to be yoked with him, to put on these things. Paul then wraps all of this up 
to say that these these pieces of armor are not remote and removed from the person of Christ. They're not things we put on and then try to get on with this daily walk with Jesus. He then says in chapter 6 verse 18, Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication, and to that end keep alert. And always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. All of this armor and all of this weaponry is put on and equipped through prayer. We come before the Lord growing in an understanding of the gospel truth. We come to the Lord in prayer and recognize that his righteousness has been given to us. We come to him in prayer as we put on those shoes that make us ready to share the gospel. We come to him in prayer, putting on that helmet of salvation, reminding ourselves that he has, is, and will save us. And we come in prayer as we wield the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, not removed from His person. And so it's a call to be prayers, to find ourselves as we one day arrive before the presence of our God and as we see the scars on His hand, may we be found to have calluses on our knees. May, saints, we be found to be those who are praying in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication, and to that end, keeping alert, that we may be supplicating and praying for the saints around us, praying for those who are declaring the message of God, that they may proclaim it in boldness, and praying that we ourselves, with every opportunity, may find ourselves confident in the gospel, strengthened by Christ. And the outcome of that, verse 21, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we put on this armor, And as we dig into the strength of Christ, we find peace. That's where our peace comes from, his strength and not our own. And my prayer for us as liberty is that as we draw on the strength of Christ and as we face the struggles with which so many are facing at the moment, the Christian walk is one of struggle. It is how we are made into the image of Christ. None of us want to struggle. We all want an easy life. And the problem with the church in the West at the moment and in the current day and age in which we live. I read a quote this morning that we have been lulled. There is a lullaby, a demonic lullaby that is playing and is calling the church to sleep. And may we be a church that is on the move. May the Holy Spirit awaken us to what is going on in the spiritual realm. And what we're fighting is not flesh and blood, but there is stuff going on in the spiritual realm and in and around us. May we be a people who war and fight. This armor talks about a fight. This armor talks about a war. And may we be found to be those who are warring in prayer liberty. May we be found to be opposing the devil in all of his schemes. That we may be found to be strong. And when we are weak, that we come around one another, strengthening one another. We may come around one another into the presence of the strong one, that he may strengthen us. We want an easy life. We want a comfortable life in the West. But we want to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, for those who want to follow me, you will be persecuted. If you want to be like me, you must suffer like me. 
It is through suffering that we become like Christ. It was through his suffering that he became the obedient and righteous one. And so for us saints, I ask that the Lord would strengthen us to face our suffering, to face our persecution, not to try and evade it, but to be sanctified and to be formed and shaped into his image through suffering, through persecution, but that we would be strengthened by him. We would be strengthened by one another as we put on this armor of God and we take up the sword of the Spirit, this word of God, well equipped to fight the fight, well equipped to wrestle the wrestle, which we will face until the Lord returns. But he knows when we are at our max. He knows when we are at our limit. And he will not let us be tested beyond what we are able to be tested by. And we are able to be tested by much, saints. We are able to be persecuted much, saints, because we are strengthened and equipped by the one who was raised from the dead. All power and authority in heaven and on earth was given to him, and he makes it available and accessible to you. So whatever you're going through, find yourself acknowledging your weakness, finding yourself acknowledging Christ's strength and putting on all of this armor daily. We need it daily, for the wrestle is daily. Liberty, my prayer, is that we would rise up and be made into a strong army in Christ, that where there are dead bones, that the Lord would prophesy life. He would prophesy strength. He would prophesy His Spirit upon us, that we would be an army for the Lord, fighting, resisting the devil, and walking in freedom and peace because we rely upon him.